everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast that gives you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me I have, as always, our wonderful good co-host, Shaylin Allen-West. Greetings. And our terrible evil co-host, Ben Jurek. Ooh, I have a new adjective. Terrible. Yeah, you do. We're gonna. It's gonna get a little longer every time from here on out. This is sort of like a, a royal titles sort of situation. Ah, yes, I like it. It's very evil. Yes. E- except I'm gonna be honest. Ben Jurek is evil light. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. He's still working his way into it, but we. He hasn't revealed the full extent of his machinations yet. Evil light. No, no. Well, it's if only you knew. You only know about the light part. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of machinations, uh, I was a little bit curious to see what the two of you had for for feelings on GW's new release schedule uh, and release process, really. Um, because even compared to 8th edition, they have kind of significantly changed the way they are rolling out new armies. Well, there's a lot going on there. There's obviously the global pandemic situation, which has twisted so many things in our lives. It's not surprising it twisted this as well. Yeah, I'm definitely under the impression that part of the slowdown is because of that. They just, they cannot logistically support the same level of releases they have previously had. Also, they don't have as much playtesting opportunities. They don't have as much tournament feedback and things like that. Yeah, which is interesting. I'm curious how much that has actually affected things, because the FAQs have still been released pretty consistently. Um... But it's it's kind of hard to know like what the what if situation if tournaments were actually happening would be. I think at the same time, um, GW is is likely with their slower release schedule, planning on ninth actually sticking around a little while. Um, I hope so. Uh, and they kind of set the book up to do that because everything that can change is in an entirely different book. That's why we have the two books now. Um, so yeah, they're the things that well, like vitally change the game are in a book that changes, you know, every six months anyway. Yeah, and and they've also, they've made it so that they are already, like, reprinting that stuff in each new book, which is kind of an interesting choice, uh, but one I can definitely see the logic behind. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little less excited. I was more hype with how fast 8th Edition went and how fast Psychic Awakening went. Like, I always looked forward to, like, the rapidly changing meta, um, I think we might run into some situations when play picks up again, uh, where we have, you know, a relatively stale, like, you know, six plus month meta, um, especially if like a codex flops or something. So I'm a little bit like nervous what they're doing with it. Um, who knows if they'll pick it up once the pandemic's over or anything like that. Um, I, I, th- I think with the way they structured this time around though, they're going for a, a slower, steadier pace. Um, a more uh, something that's easier to sustain, something that's better revenue for them, honestly. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at the bean counter yeah. side of it, there, there's certainly a component of uh, obviously the the player revenue revenue and their people's ability to spend money during the pandemic. Uh, but also, I think people's interest. Um, you know, with tournaments not happening and people not in, as involved in the game, 
people just aren't as interested in spending money and time and whatnot, uh, paying attention to Warhammer. Um, and I, I think they are playing a lot of safe bets because of that. Um, that, that may have a, a significant component of why we are seeing basically nothing but Space Marine releases. Yeah, I'm of one of two minds. I'm either of the mind that they're slowing it down so they have a fully sustained you know, cycle of we're only going to make one codex for each army this edition and we're not going to have any mm. codex 2.0s or we're of the mind of they're going to have a cycle of codexes and possibly even 3.0s and the what it what we consider ninth edition is going to be you know what warhammer is and the changes come to the grand tournament books yeah i feel like they're probably not going to do like a 2.0 or 3.0 cycle of books um i feel like what they're trying to set up for is do one full cycle of books and then do supplements and faqs and errata to fix any problems that result um i think i think they are realizing that people are not a big fan of like really uh repeated book releases it feels bad to buy the same codex three times in an edition um yeah so i i think they are steering away from that uh but that said i think you are right that they're trying to make a more like planned out uh sort of book release schedule that is theoretically going to last through the whole edition. Um, I'm just a little worried about what that means for less popular books. Um, because, like, books that are good in ninth are very, very good, and books that aren't good in ninth are very, very bad. And for armies that, you know, are not popular and don't have a good book, that could mean a real long wait until they are playable. And that that can be really unpleasant for people. I know that drove a lot of people away from 7th edition. It's just like, when you have like a 12-month span where your book is unusable, that's rough. It's, it makes people not want to play the game anymore. Yeah. Yeah, waiting two years to get a book and then, like, six months yeah. later, the next edition comes out, and, like, it just invalidates your book. That yeah. I think they're trying to avoid that. Um, I, If I had money, I'm a Vegas man here, um, to place a bet, and someone would take that bet, mm-hmm. I would bet you'd see the release schedule definitely kicking gear um, post-COVID and post-vaccines and being able to do events again. Hmm. That's, that's not implausible. I think it's definitely a thing. I kind of feel like if I were to bet on it, I would I would say that we don't see codexes any faster, but we do see the release schedule speed up a little bit uh, with more models and supplements and novels and all that other kind of supplementary stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm there too. But it'll be interesting interesting to see. There's just so many codexes now. Like, if they keep at this one codex per month release rate... It's going to be almost two years before all the books are out. And I, I do wonder about how that's going to work for folks. But it'll be interesting to see. I think it's all about the quality of the product at the end of the day. Like, if it takes them an mm-hmm. extra you know, couple months to make my ARC codex good, I'll wait the extra two months. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I Obviously, putting out the, the quality books is a significant thing. Uh so I guess we'll we'll have to see where that goes because 
They've the, these first books look really strong, and that's good for the usual problem of like, don't be the first book released in an edition because it guarantees you'll be terrible. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Shaylin, how's that? How's that? How's that feel? Huh? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't think they need to hear me ranting about that anymore. Yeah. Well, let's let's go from talking about bad books to talking about bad matchups, because that's the topic for our main episode this week. Like all of 7th edition with Grey Knights? I don't think we can call that bad matchups, because we... So let's, let's actually do a little defining here, because that's not when every one of your matchups are a bad matchup. They're not bad matchups, really, are they? They're, they're all the same matchup, which is your good matchup. You know, your 32% or whatever it is. Um, what we're talking about more specifically here is when your list runs up against a matchup where it has a lower than normal winning percentage. Um, because I think it's, it's useful to define it in that sense rather than in the sense of, like, it's below 50%, because there are some armies that just has below 50% across the entire field. Um, oh, yeah. And conceptually, that's not really very useful to define as a bad matchup. Yeah, I think there's about three things in my mind that can create a bad matchup. And, you know, pretty broad strokes here, but my three are, I'm gonna, you know, is this a bad matchup because of the terrain? Is this a bad matchup sure. because of a particular skew? Like, am I a all vehicle list versus a very anti vehicle list? Um, mm-hmm. You know, non faction related. And then there's a third one, which is like faction slash mechanic related, where my army relies on this specific thing, and they either have a very specific thing that counters my faction or counters my mechanic, or you know, mm-hmm. blows me out of the water. They're like, I depend on Overwatch. I'm Tau, and you literally just don't. You you don't obey Overwatch, so. I guess I lose. Right. Um, so those are the things that you know I that I kind of look at for if I'm trying to identify a bad matchup. Yeah, and of those, we're not really going to talk about terrain. Um, we've talked lots of other episodes about how to deal with terrain and the ways terrain can affect your game and what you need to know about it. Um, Bad terrain can happen, either because of too much or too little, and it can absolutely turn a good matchup into a bad one, or vice versa. Um, But it's also a very different subject than the rest of this episode, so we're not really going to consider that aspect of things, other than to note that terrain absolutely can affect your matchup, and you need to understand that. Um, but that's really an understanding terrain episode, not an understanding bad matchups episode. Um, another way I look at a bad matchup is I, I look at my army as a set of tools mm-hmm. and a set of solutions. And if I don't have a solution to a problem across the table, it's a bad matchup. Yes, that is often how I tend to think about it as well, just because um, that is what you were kind of looking at. It's like, okay, they have you know, ten locks, I have nine keys, uh, that means I've got a problem. Uh, you, I think the most fundamental level is looking at how you deal with each of the parts of their army, um, either in isolation or in combination, um, and seeing if you have solutions to those things. And if you don't have a solution to their army and they do have a solution to yours, that's probably a bad matchup. 
to expand on my number three, do you also run into the situations of where there's more powerful armies um, that you know have recently gotten a codex, or their or your army is you know as we were talking about earlier in the episode, your army was like one of the first codexes, and that army has a significant higher power curve point per point, um, and that can be a bad matchup ish. It's not as bad. Uh, we'll get into you know what how bad is bad, um, but like playing early you know an early eighth edition release into late eighth edition Space Marines was fun for no one. Yeah, that is a bit, unfortunately, a fairly common case, um, where you are just point-for-point point outmatched by the enemy. Um, but at the same time, there are raw efficiency is not necessarily the only thing that is affecting how you play the game. Uh, so I think it can be a mistake to worry too much about that. That said, we're definitely still going to talk about how you deal with that sort of thing. Um, because if, you know, everything in their army is just 10% better than everything in your army, you definitely have a bad matchup on your hands. So let's go ahead and, and talk about, uh, sort of assessing how bad is this matchup. Um, if you are a consistent tournament player, probably you spend a lot of time obsessing over lists, uh, so probably that is the first place you start, is you, you look at their list and sort of relate it to lists you've already played and how well you've done against them, and that, that sort of toolbox solution Shaylin and I both talked about a little bit earlier, where you look at, like, what do I have a solution to, what don't I have a solution to, how many of these things in their army can I deal with, and how big of a problem is going to be, um... You know, do they have what they need to just sort of roll over me on the mission, or are they just going to be killing all my units while I'm still scoring points normally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the, some of this comes down to mission. Uh, we don't want to forget that part. The sure. um, you know the the basic the most basic basic thing we can look at and what identifying a bad matchup is your is your war gear lineup versus their war gear lineup. Like if I'm playing orc buggies versus Harlequin haywire bikes. I'm probably in for a bad time. That's a really easy thing to look on paper and go, wow, that's really going to suck. Where there are some things that are a bit more hidden where, you know, they might have a specific stratagem that like completely counter something or like a relic. Um, So those can be harder to find and learning those and learning how to like read deep in the list and know exactly uh, what your opponent can take, which in this edition is listed now, but knowing uh knowing it beforehand is always helpful like going into it and be like okay they're gonna try this i know this counters me um and you can really pull out before you even start the game if the matchup is bad or not mm-hmm. to my mind the even more dangerous one because obviously like if they have a unit that counters you that's bad if they have a stratagem that counters you that can be rough but the most dangerous kind of bad matchup for my money is the bad strategy matchup, where their fundamental plan beats your fundamental plan. Uh, So if you are both, like, midfield brawling armies, but they're better at it, then you're in trouble, because, like, the thing your army is intended to do probably won't work, because, like, oh, crap, you know, I've got these pretty good Terminators, but he's got fantastic Terminators, and if we bonk them head-to-head on the midfield objective, I'm probably going to lose all my guys, and he's going to end up with that objective. Yeah. 
Or like if your list runs off a gimmick and their their like their chapter trait just entirely invalidates your gimmick, um, you're like, yes. oh, that I suddenly my, I don't play my game the same anymore. I have to play a completely different game, um, and that's when you start looking at Plan B, Plan C, Plan D. Yes, which is boils down to a very fancy way of saying play the mission, because at the end of the day, that's how you're graded on success in 40k. Yeah, we have this right. handy thing called secondaries. You can choose those. Um, yes. This is it's a good time to choose uh, choose some good secondaries that benefit you versus your opponent. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to playing the mission like that, um, I, I think you do have to make some choices. Um, but you, you need to be looking at maximizing your points. Um, even if you are a brawling list, you need to be looking at how can I get every single point that I can ever possibly get. And yes, that is also kind of what you want to be doing normally, but you need to be look at being willing to abandon your normal plan in order to focus on the mission. Um, because we already know, by definition, your normal plan won't work. If you just go with your normal whatever it is, you're going to lose. Yes. Also, notably, this is a critical thing with secondaries, is before the game's starting, you're picking your secondaries. Part of what picking your secondaries means is you are picking parts of your future game plan. Mm -hmm. So when your matchup's already hard, I feel it's extra critically important to pick secondaries that are either non-interactive with your opponent... That means they can't foil you from doing them. Yep. Or secondaries that are completely in line with this new battle plan you were forming in your mind to deal with this problem. Yes. Uh, I think there's also room in there, and we'll talk a little bit about risk-taking in a moment, but for taking secondaries you might not normally take because they are too risky, um, you may try to take a possible 15 over guaranteed 10, if you know that that 10 won't win you the game. Yeah, um, yeah. that's what I mean there. Yeah, well, sure. But there is there is reason to potentially go the other way, where um, if you are looking at this bad matchup and you're saying, I don't know if I can get that 15 and it's it's kind of very risky and I'm not sure I want to try, you may just accept the, the safer 10.1 if it requires zero effort from you so that you can focus on doing other things. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is also a time to take advantage of your opponent's secondaries. If they chose anything that interacts with you, even if it's part of your game plan, like if they're like, oh, I want to, you know, kill your warlord, he's Magnus, like, go ahead and hide Magnus. Like, whatever, he's gone for two yeah. rounds. Like, this is the time to do those type of things. Uh -huh. This is a tough one, I find, because there are some matchups where your opponent can just take a secondary that works off your key game plan, uh, like, you know, Magnus or Mortarion, and they, they take a, like, you know, kill that guy. It's like, all right, I don't really want to hand you 12 points, but on the other hand, if I don't, if I don't put Magnus in the game, that's 500 points of my army that isn't playing. That can be a very difficult decision to make, um, and I think you have to base that a lot on, can I afford to not have this guy be in the game? Mm -hmm. yeah. There's some cases where you can, and there's some cases where you can't. With something as big as Magnus, I don't think you can afford to lose them out. You just have to say, looks like I'm giving up 12 points, 
Um, but there's some cases where, you know, you'll have a block of Terminators or something. It's like, oh, they would get a whole bunch of points from killing them. Well, I can keep those Terminators in reserve until turn three. That's fine. You know, that doesn't ruin my game plan. So you really need to look at how central is that thing that is giving up a secondary to your, your list's fundamental plan. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of boils down to, you know, if you're willing to risk it and what exactly your game plan is, um, especially your new game plan, yeah. plan what your plan B is. If your plan B doesn't re- revolve around that, you know, that specific unit that you're going to reserve that they've chosen as like a secondary or a, a time valuable one, um, mm-hmm. then you can just live without it, even if it normally be in your plan A. Um, like there are just some things you're not going to rush up the middle when you know what they're going to bring uh, is just going to counteract what you do. Um, you know, if you like, you're not going to run your Repentia into a bunch of Slanesh dudes at minus attacks and swing like five attacks at them, like the <laughs> yeah. total. Like you don't do that. I think that is something we have glossed over a little bit so far, but it's very important to be prepared to not do what you usually do. Yeah. Um, maybe those Repentia don't just run into a target and try to smash it. Um, maybe you don't put the all your rhinos on the line prepared to drive forward. Maybe you don't reserve that unit you normally reserve. You need to be prepared to adjust your game plan because you already know your game plan probably isn't going to work. Yes. yes. Um... So a notable thing here is in practice where we've talked about in the past about taking really careful notes and trying really stupid risk plays, you pull those out. This is when you need them. Yeah, uh, because as we've already talked about, you are probably going to lose if you just do what you normally do. And it may not be super bad. Like maybe it's only a 40-60 matchup. Maybe it's a 30-70, which is pretty rough. Uh, but whatever that number may be, you are probably going to lose, which means you need to change things. The onus is on you as the player who has the worst game plan to do something different to upset the status quo, because the status quo is you losing. In the world of card games and poker, we call that playing to your outs, um, like, you know you're playing down, but you know that that turn and that river card can definitely dig your butt out. Um, in 40k, we have other examples like that. Like the other time, most of the time, I'm going to go out of my way to avoid a nine inch charge. But um, if a if a redeploy and a nine inch charge is what it takes to suddenly like blow the game open for me, um, it's a risk that you have to take. Otherwise, your traditional play path probably isn't going to win. Yes. Um... The other thing I was going to say is uh, tempo and board control become very critical in these playing down matchups, because if you are if you give your opponent every opportunity to make all the calls on you, you're just going to get tromped. But if you get to control the tempo, it can mean a lot for how bad that matchup hits you. Yeah, uh, if your opponent has that unit of superior Terminators that they can just sort of mulch through your stuff... If you never give them the chance to charge the things that are important, it doesn't matter that they're better than your Terminators. Your Terminators didn't have to fight that. Exactly. Uh, you're, you are looking to control your opponent's game plan, if you can, um, that you may not be able to do that, but you know that's obviously a whole other problem. Um, but you really you need to 
change the way the matchup would normally work when you're doing this. You're looking for your outs, you're looking it for your unusual plays, you're looking for your gambles that can pay off. Um, because you're going to lose, and you need to change that. So if you can take out a key character and you have a 35% chance of doing so, but that turns off their unit of terminators or whatever it is, maybe you need to go for that charge. Maybe you need to try and shoot that unit out. Maybe you need to deep strike into their backfield. Um, this is where you need to really know the actual odds, where you need to do some math crunching and look at what happens if you charge in and go for something and determine whether or not that plan is at all feasible. Because you don't want to just throw your units away. You want to be taking calculated risks. Yes. Yeah, before turn one even begins in this, you have to, you've already acknowledged you're playing from behind. So you're going to deploy like you're playing from behind. You're going to set everything up as if you're playing from behind. And then you're going to play you, to your best strength as possible. Um, and the things you're looking for are those suddenly sudden statistical anomalies um, and things where you know you got a lot more out of your 200-point unit than you would normally get. And you want to stretch yes. those units as far as you can. Because suddenly when like your character takes down 500 points worth of models, um, that, can, that is enough to swing the game. Or it even just ties up 500 points of models. So I will also remark that this is a great time to go glance through your stratagem set and look at those obscure, crappy stratagems, because sometimes this is the niche case where they matter. Yes. Uh, this is the time when knowledge, deep knowledge of your codex is really going to pay off, where knowing every special rule you have, every stratagem you've got, every weird effect of every relic, all your psychic powers, everything you can do, because you're going to need to pull all of that together. You don't need that when you're 65, 35 favored in a matchup and you're sort of like walking over some poor newbie. But this, a situation where you're playing from a bad position, is where that really comes to the fore. And that's why good players are good, is because they're able to win matchups where their army is not favored. Mm -hmm. So, the one last thing that I think we should talk about a little bit here, and we kind of, I guess we touched on this already, but um, fight to your strengths, not your weaknesses. If you have better shooting than them, your game plan needs to focus on your shooting, not the melee that you might normally uh, have. Like, I know, uh, Shailene, you've done this with Grey Knights against, like, demons lots of time. It's like, well, normally I would try and melee things, but demons are actually better than me in melee. However, demons don't have any shooting at all, so guess what? It's shooting time. And they don't have any way to stop three mortal wound smites either. It, it's gross. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, you're looking for parts of the game where you have an edge of your opponent, whether that might be the, a certain secondary objective that you are sure you can max out, whether that would be a phase of the game that they don't play in, mm -hmm. whether that would be mobility that you have that they don't, whether it's an option you have that you can sort of take advantage of when it's most clutch. Um, 
you are looking at the parts of the matchup that are advantageous for you, because there should be at least some of them. Yes. Uh, unless you're playing a mirror matchup, you should have something you do better than them. You need to look for ways to leverage that against them. Yeah. Fight them where you're strong and they're weak, not vice versa. Yeah, doing the vice versa, you can just walk away. Like, just don't don't even address mm-hmm. it. If they have a Vexator mask and mm-hmm. a million melee dudes in the middle, you know, in the middle holding those two objectives, and that's your usual strategy is to go mid, you probably don't want to do mm-hmm. it. Just go do something else. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and that may include literally going places that they are not strong. This You, you might spread out to objectives or move into, you know, their their backfield rather than the midfield, avoid their units. But what you have to avoid doing at all costs is the just default, like, well, this is what I always do, and this is what my list is good at, so I'm going to do it here even though I know it won't work. Yes. You really cannot afford to do that sort of thing. Well, also, here's the other thing is uh, I spent years of my 40k career playing from the back burner and on the back foot because I had a shitty army that just couldn't compete. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things you can do is not be defeated walking into the matchup. Just because it's going to be an uphill battle doesn't mean it's not winnable. Yeah, Uh, a a 40-60 matchup, which is pretty standard, like, bad matchups, you still win that 40% of the time. Yeah. It's it's not a lot worse than a coin flip. No. So, you've got to be ready to keep fighting and be ready to take advantage of things when they do happen. Uh, And I think we have a lot more to talk about on that, but we do need to take a quick little sponsor break first, where we will all go get ourselves some refreshing, I don't know, Gardacola? I don't know what the Imperial Guard drinks. Recap, Sean, recap. So, yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'll, you, you, I assume as an Imperial player you have any idea what you're talking about. Uh, it's also called Dynasty Coffee, if you've ever been in the military. Ooh. <laughs> I prefer roast squig, but, you know. Mm. I don't think you can drink roast squig. You can drink squig, roast squig blood. You can, I, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know about it. If you're hungry enough, it tastes good. Yeah. Alright, so let's take ourselves a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk some more about bad matchups. And we are back, talking about bad matchups and how to deal with them. Yes. So... We talked a little bit about this before the break, but I think it's it's diving worth diving into a bit further. Uh, a very important part of a bad matchup is knowing where they have the advantage over you and where you have the advantage over them. Because, as we said before, they're not going to be better than you at everything unless you are playing a literal mirror match, uh, where they just built a better version of your list. So, knowing where you can win and what you can do over them is very important. So, this is again looking at tools. Um, Because their list may have a big problem you can't solve, but it probably has little problems you can solve. Look at those problems. Like, Mm -hmm. what can I address? Um, Also, in the list building phase, having toolbox units. It's like, well, this sucks, and this unit isn't as optimal here, 
but it still has play even when it's on the back foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Units that are that are flexible rather than simply powerful. Yes. Yeah, and look how you can give yourself advantages um, in like in before the game even starts, particularly in deployment. Like if you know how this game is going to go and you're formulating your new game plan, um, you have to deploy around it. You can't typically deploy how you would usually deploy. This is probably one of the most important things in this, especially if you're looking to like counter armies that are going to be inside your uh, be inside your deployment zone on turn one and stuff like that. A lot of people mm-hmm. sometimes they fold and they don't react to it in a proper way, where it's like, okay, well, I have to screen with this unit that I really wouldn't screen with, um, but you kind of have to. Uh, so you you take that little punt, but at the same time you put yourself in a, in a position to have to be advantageous and you know counter set up counter charges and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, another thing to know is again you're looking at what's my opponent's game plan. They're going to go here to midfield, seize that, sit there, and be a jerk about it. Well, most of the time, armies like that really commit to midfield, and they don't commit to their backfield. So if I can get flank around their sides with a split deployment and shove around and like just attack their back core, I should be fine. Yeah, Sure. The big advantage that you have when at a disadvantage, which sounds a little weird to say, uh, but your opponent is probably playing to their normal game plan, which means if you know what that is, you know what they're going to do, whereas they don't necessarily know what you're going to do. They have to plan for every possible contingency that you can attempt. You just have to plan for their basic game. So you have an innate advantage in information, at the very least. Yeah, and don't psych yourself out, like... Playing at a psychological disadvantage, playing down and being bummed out about the bad bad matchup you got. Like, if you play with confidence and you play like with a maturity that, like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna win this thirty percent. Why why not, why wouldn't I? Um, that actually kind of off puts the confident opponent. I've had uh you know games where like I should clearly win this game, but my opponent with the way they reacted and the confidence that they played in, I wasn't so sure I was gonna win, even though it was you know it was clearly the other way. Yes, uh, I will also point out that if you're already walking into a game that you're likely to lose, you have very little to lose at that point. So you can do some really crazy stuff, because it's like, all I can go is up from here. Mm-hmm. On that front, uh, sort of the talking about knowledge and whatnot, uh, Shaylin talked about the, the, the problems, problems and solution units earlier on. That is extremely critical, because there are going to be some units in your army and some units in their army that are the the capital P problems. Um, it may be that you have a tank that can destroy anything they have, it's just if that tank dies, your army has no other solutions. Well, your game plan at that point needs to start with, how do I protect this tank? Everything in your plan needs to be looking at how do I keep this tank alive, because that tank is what wins you the game. You need to look at the the units in each of your armies that have no counter, or that can potentially win you the game, and how you keep them active. If that means sacrificing the rest of your army, maybe that's just what you need to do. By the same token, if they have a unit that will destroy you if it gets to do what it wants to, 
you need to ensure that no matter what, that unit does not get to do the thing it's designed for. Yes, and sometimes that involves feeding onesie and twosie little units of strike marines in there until it's like ran out of strike marines, but at this point there's nothing for it to shoot. Yeah, this this kind of broaches on the importance of what we like to call codex literacy and or meta literacy. Yeah. Um, a lot of times your opponents aren't going to tell you what their problems are or what their dangerous units are, especially yes. um, if you aren't playing a lot of 40k, you really need to do your homework. If you've been playing a, a lot and you have a relatively large community, you get a good idea of what you're going to be playing against. Um, but if you go to a big GT, you better have done your homework because your opponent's not going to do your homework for you. Absolutely. And if you can identify these key points, you can focus on them. Because, again, your opponent is probably just going to be playing their normal game plan. They're going to be like, well, you know, I'm, I've got a good chance of winning this. I'm just going to go forward with what I usually do. But if you can focus on taking out the one or two units that potentially change the game for you, or in your, keeping the one or two units that change the game for you alive, you can overturn that matchup and turn a, a 40-60 into a 60-40. Yeah. Again, this is a lot of persistence here. It's like, you know, you have to decide mm -hmm. in your head you're not losing walking into that. Because you'll find those a lot easier if you're already feeling that way. Yeah, and try not try not to make the bad matchup the meta. Like, if the meta is your bad matchup, you really need to change your list. Um, but Yes. I don't have a couple years of masochism under my belt. Uh, if all of your matchups are 40-60s, well... You either did it on purpose, and you know that's going to be the case, and you're very dedicated, and I salute you, or you designed your list very poorly, and you need to maybe go back to the drawing board with Or maybe, Sean, they designed it poorly to practice bad matchups so they'd be better at it in the future. Whoa. That's deep. Uh, that is totally a thing you can do, and I recommend doing it at RTTs as opposed to GTs. Yeah, if the meta shifts to counter you, you have to adjust in between. Um, that That's an important thing. Or even just, like, if you need to change one unit around in between your tournaments. Um, like, if you know, if you if that, if that problem dangerous unit becomes a common thing in the meta, you need to create an answer for it, especially if you didn't have an answer for it the first time. Yeah. Yes. We're not going to go too deep into adjusting your list, as that is a topic for another week. Um, but you do need to be adjusting your list to keep up with the meta. You can't stay static. At the same time, you also need to be adjusting your tactics. A lot. Um, when you are in a situation where things are kind of not going so well, you need to be looking at unorthodox tactics of all sorts, which we've touched on a little bit already, but I, I really want to emphasize, like, you need to be coming up with strange and bizarre plans. Hopefully ones that you have tried in other practice games, like Shaylin mentioned, mm -hmm. but still bizarre plans anyways. You know, I'm going to reserve this unit. Wouldn't normally do so, but this time it's going to reserve and it's going to try and walk, into, walk off the edge of the field into their backfield. Yeah, a good a good way of practicing this is uh is play, trying to play an entire game without killing their without killing them without even engaging in combat just running around the field avoiding them just trying to play the mission. Yeah. Um. You this is this is a really quick game to do, but 
the you learn a lot of little tips and tricks and small things to make it so like your army lasts a lot longer and uh, with certain lists against in certain matchups you can absolutely just win by doing almost nothing mm-hmm. yeah and that kind of non-engagement it, it does touch on a strength here where you are playing entirely to your strategy and not the dice mm-hmm. you're not letting the mechanical parts of the things where dice get rolled and you can be at a disadvantage affect your game at all. Yes. Um, Also, a a thing to consider is movement phase. Uh, Besides movement blocking, they can't really thwart what you do there. You get to put things exactly where you are and your opponent can't stop you. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important phase to take advantage of in games where you're playing from behind because it's one of the few places you can't get stopped. So always sit there like, I need to move this unit. I need to move that unit. That unit needs to be there in a couple turns. I got to start shuffling it now. Right. Yeah, this is a this is a spot where when you're when you're when you're playing through, you know, everything things when things go right, you need to be prepared for things to go right. You also need to be prepared for things to go wrong. Like like yeah, this you know, this yeah. this risk I took earlier didn't pay off. How do I adjust to this now even somewhat worse situation? You haven't lost the game. Don't give up the game because one of your uh, counter strategies that had a low chance of succeeding didn't work. Like on a you know, if you roll a six, you get D three mortals, and that's what you needed. Um, no, like if that didn't if that didn't work, just move down to plan H and then plan I and then plan J. Don't don't give up just because it got tilted even a little bit farther. You, you, once again, even if it's a ten ninety you know situation, ten percent versus ninety, the ten percent still can win yeah i actually have a phrase my family uses that we t- were learned from a man who paraglides don't run of air airspeed altitude and ideas especially at the same time uh-huh. um so always keep going like there's gotta be a way even if you're riding on the seat of your pants and you're like it's a two percent chance just keep pushing it keep pushing yeah and at a certain point, it may come to where you can't win anymore. Um, either statistically, you know, you are at that 0.01%, or just like you literally are incapable of winning. But even at that point, we'll kind of reiterate something we said a lot of times before, which is just keep getting your points. You play out the game, get the points you can. You may not have won this game, you can still win your next game, and that you can still rank somewhere in the tournament. Also, you can learn something. Even there, it's like... Absolutely. Hey, I I pulled out these crazy risk plays, and one of them kind of worked, and most of them flopped, but hey, I still learned that that one kind of works. Yeah. I've been playing a lot of games where I felt, you know, I was going to lose, or my opponent felt that they were going to lose by, like, turn two or turn three. And we finish out the game, and that was obviously not the case. Uh, a lot of this can just be based on like a player mistake, or especially when someone's playing down to you, um, they're way more likely to make a mistake, especially a mistake of overconfidence, even um, where they're just gonna like rush everything in. You're like, oh wait, you forgot about all these guys I had in reserves, and suddenly I I hold four objectives and you hold one because you you know you tried to get in my deployment zone and kill everything. You you killed everything, mm-hmm. but now I'm still winning the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which absolutely can happen. I have a great story from 7th edition of my opponent making a critical mistake and I just walked all over his army, but it's a real thing. Yeah, it's 
those odd chances do happen, and honestly, the best thing you can do, and maybe the single best piece of advice we can give for bad matchup, is be ready to take advantage of your opponent's mistakes. Because one mistake can turn a good matchup into a bad matchup. If they misposition one of their characters that is critical... If they have a unit deployed in the wrong place so that you can just avoid interacting with it, there are lots of mistakes that your opponent can make that will change the game for you and make it into a winning game, and you need to be ready to take advantage of those. Yeah, you want to be explosive off every single piece of variance you can take advantage of because if you're playing a straight game that's the idea of what a bad matchup is Is in in a straight regular game mechanically you will likely lose Um, you want to blow out any variance whether it's human created or um well this game is variance there's dice involved uh or you want to take advantage of that like if they you know if you're in a situation like oh no 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 and then suddenly their captain rolls all twos on their you know on their hammer and they just miss everything Mm -hmm. um cool uh now's your chance to blow that up like yeah. that that thing you were yep. super scared of is now in no longer an issue it was literally a problem that answered itself and it sometimes that's just like a you know a win on a silver platter handed to you yeah um they failed that four inch charge and you're sitting there and you're like all right i get to punch you first <laughs> yes there are going to be lots of mistakes and this is again where knowledge of the matchup and just knowledge of the game in general, are going to be huge, where they can turn a a bad matchup into a win. And you need to be able to recognize those opportunities, and that's where all that knowledge really comes to the fore. Uh-huh. Of course, you also have to set up the possibility for those mistakes. If you are four inches closer to them, they can't fail that four-inch charge. Yeah. So you need to make sure to move correctly. If you just suicided that unit into their captain the turn before, they never have a chance to roll those twos. You have to set your opponent up to make mistakes and then be ready to take advantage of them when they do it. And they might not make any. They might do all the right things and make all the correct decisions and you'll lose the game. But you can't know that in advance. You you have to be willing to let your opponent make mistakes because most people are perfect Mm -hmm. they will when you're playing in a down matchup like this you playing more perfectly than your opponent can make all the difference is basically what we're saying absolutely you know one thing your opponent that you like to do sometimes especially in common meta matchups where like you know you're playing the netlist guard list and they're playing the netlist space rain list and you kind of know how Mm -hmm. each other are going to play you sometimes you have that that jabber of you know of how things are going to go in a you know a friendly banter and conversation with your opponent. Um, when you're getting crafty, don't do that. Like don't don't tell your opponent your your super secret machinations that you got going on because like when that's what you need to win, this is the time not to uh, speak your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It. I definitely have found that lots of people are willing to talk and kind of tell you what they're doing during game, and yeah, I figure my my Terminators will just kind of roll in here, and then my aggressors will get that over there, and you're like, hmm, yeah, they mm, might do that. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just nod and agree. <laughs> yes. Smile and nod. There is nothing more dangerous than an opponent who agrees with you about things. Uh, 
So, yeah, use, leverage that disparity of information. It doesn't even have to be, like, you don't have to go silent as a clam and stop talking to your opponent. You can still talk and be friendly. In fact, you should. Yeah, it, you, you, you don't want to be a bad opponent. Um, but that doesn't need to tell, mean you need to tell them what your game plan is. Um, you have the advantage of knowing their game plan when they don't know yours. You need to use that. You can't just throw your advantages away. Yeah, don't talk your opponent into countering what you're trying to do. Be like, like, don't remind them that you have that group in, that group of dudes in deep strike that's gonna, you know, net you five yes. points this game. Like, don't you don't need to remind them that. Like, you, this is this is the time that you're already you're already playing down. I mean, I'm sorry, you're already playing for behind. Like, just try try to do what you can to pull an edge out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that covers, I won't say everything, because there is a lot more to this whole bad matchups thing, uh, but covers everything that we can reasonably approach this time. Yes. So, hopefully this has been enough to maybe help some folks turn a game or three around, especially once they start playing a lot more games, or maybe if they are playing games already on, you know, whatever digital platform they uh, have access to. But if you want to talk to us, maybe have some questions about a particular bad matchup that you're dealing with, or are just want to chat about a list in general, you can reach us in InTheFinestHour at gmail.com, as well as on Facebook at InTheFinestHour. And if you really appreciate what we're doing, and you want to give us a little bit of a hand, for $5 a month, you can join up with our private Facebook group and Discord server, and you'll have access to all of the terrible memes and pictures of people's paint jobs and all of the other strange nonsense that we post to the Discord on a regular basis. So thank you very much to all of our Patreons for helping to support us. We really appreciate what you do, and it's you guys that help keep this whole thing running. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for his epic art and amazing turnaround on it. You can find him on Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram, and a couple other places, yeah. And if you enjoyed the sounds of our show, both our intro and our interlude, uh, you can find those by Dankmuse on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify. All right. Well, I think that is a wrap for this week. Next week, we will be talking about writing lists. Maybe some ways to set yourself up so you don't have bad matchups and instead have good matchups. But until then, I have been Sean Morgan, Shailen Allen West. Ben Turing. Thanks for listening.